Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. Whether you're joining us online or here in person, really glad to have you here. We have been journeying through the book of Acts, the later part of the book of Acts, and we've been following Paul, where Paul has been sharing the gospel with, with Jewish people, with Gentiles, passionately traveling all over Asia and the, and the Middle East, wanting to share the hope of Jesus. His life was personally transformed. And he wanted that for anyone and everyone. This morning, we turn into a really intense passage. The heat is up. It may be appropriate for the weather that we've been having lately because you know, in West Michigan or in the Midwest, if it gets as hot as it has been lately, there's going to be storms like we've had the past few nights. That's just inevitable in the Midwest in the summertime. Well, things in Jerusalem in this chapter, Acts 23, are very heated. And Paul is facing some very stiff opposition, but he intentionally went to Jerusalem. He didn't end up there by accident. He went there on purpose because he felt compelled to share his faith with his people. He wanted them to know the power of Jesus. He wanted them to know the new life that comes. And so this morning, as I read the scriptures, I just want you to hear this it's almost an unbelievable story. It sounds like a thriller. It sounds like fictional account. But this is a true account of what happens in Acts 23, where Paul is speaking to the Sanhedrin. And before I read it, let me just have you put up a picture of what the Sanhedrin would be, just so you have a sense. I don't know if you guys have it. Maybe not. We'll, we'll leave it. I'm going to read the scriptures. But there it is. It's gone. All right. So this is the Sanhedrin, which would be in Jerusalem, which would be on the temple, in the temple. And this is a place where 71, there's 70 members made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, and there's a high priest. And they were sort of like our Supreme Court, but not only decided civil things, but they decided religious things. And so the only thing they couldn't do is, is decide a death penalty because that was to be executed by the Romans. You may be familiar with it from the life of Jesus. But this is the place where Paul is brought to talk and defend his faith, because the Romans are trying to figure out what's going on and why everybody is so stirred up and so angry and wanting Paul to be punished and to be killed. So now let's go back to the scriptures. I'm going to read them, and one of the traditions at campus ministry where I was served before here was, when we read the scripture, we got done, we say, this is the word of the Lord, and everyone would say, thanks be to God. So let's do that this morning. So from Acts, the end of Acts 22 and 23, here we go. The next day, since the Roman commander, commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released Paul and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. And he brought Paul and had him stand before him. 
Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this statement, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I do not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. I'm going to pause for a moment. We're not sure if Paul didn't recognize the high priest because it was an informal gathering and they weren't in their appropriate places. We're not sure if Paul's eyesight was bad. We hear about that in other parts of scripture. Or we're not sure if Paul is making sort of a little jab and saying, I don't recognize you as the high priest because you're not acting at all like a high priest should. Let me continue. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, he called out into the Sanhedrin and he said, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection and there are no, and that there are are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them and bring by force and bring him to the barracks. The following night in the barracks, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to drink or eat, eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat or drink anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard this plot, Paul's nephew, he went into the barracks and he told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took his nephew. So he took him to the commander. And the centurion said, Paul, the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand and drew him aside and asked, what is it that you want to tell me? says, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him, but don't give in to them because more than 40 men are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed Paul. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. 
The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. And then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, said, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. We'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today, we turn into this very intense scripture. And what I want you to sort of hear all throughout my message this morning is this, is that you never know how God is going to prove faithful. You never know how God is going to provide. And you never know how God can sustain you in the midst of challenge. All of us at different times face intense trials, Opposition, maybe not 40 people who want to kill you, but we face opposition and we face difficulties that we're not sure how to handle. And in this moment, in the first part of this scripture, we see you never know how God's going to use your faithful testimony. Paul faithfully went to Jerusalem. He wanted his people to know. And now in the highest court in the land, he had the opportunity to share once again this huge opportunity to the Sanhedrin to all the religious leaders, to the highest religious leaders. And let's be honest, it doesn't go well at first. Paul says, hey, I'm here in good conscience. I want you to experience the resurrection of the dead. I want you to experience the hope in Jesus. I'm here with good conscience. And Ananias, the high priest, takes offense at what Paul says because he can't imagine that anyone who's caused as much trouble as Paul, who's been convicted or accused like Paul, how could they have a good conscience? So they have this incredible banter between one another where Ananias orders that Paul be slapped across the face. We're not sure if it really happened, but he orders it. And Paul challenges him back and says, you're breaking the law because I haven't been tried and found guilty yet, so you can't punish me with a slap. And they have this incredible encounter with one another. And Paul realizes how tense the situation is, and he uses his skill and his background as him, he himself a Pharisee, and he sort of uses his skill to take the focus off of himself, while at the same time testifying to the core issue that he's trying to tell them about. You see, there's two rival groups in the Sanhedrin. There are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I could give you a whole sermon on the differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and the Essenes, the four major groups at that time. But what you need to know is, is that they're all Jewish, but they hold very different opinions on some things. Not unlike our country where we're all Americans, but there's Democrats and there's Republicans and there's others who disagree widely on how things should be handled. So Paul, he says, hey, I'm a Pharisee. I'm on trial because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, it's slightly different than what the Pharisees believe and certainly different than what the Pharisees who don't believe in the resurrection at all. But Paul says, this is the core issue why I'm here. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. But what he does is he touches a hot issue between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees immediately disagree with Paul. And the Pharisees start defending him because he's upholding their position. 
And an all-out fight ensues. Romans are worried that Paul's going to be torn to pieces because the fighting is so intense. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight, but I don't, I've never been in a fight where I worried that I was literally going to be torn to pieces by two different groups of people. That's how intense this is. And Paul's clever ploy, his skill, what he's been prepared for, it rescues him from this intense moment at the council that doesn't go well. But he had this incredible opportunity to preach the day before, and it got cut off because the crowd was so stirred up against Paul. So that didn't really go well. It was sort of a failure. And then he has the opportunity to preach to the Sanhedrin, and that doesn't go well, and it ends in a fist fight of just a melee. And so if we go to scene two, now Paul has been moved to the barracks, saved, taken by force away from this intense crowd. The Lord meets Paul in the night. Let me read it again. It says this, The following night, the Lord stood near Paul. He said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. You see, Paul is probably sitting in the barracks, under guard for sure. But the violence of the last two days, the violence of the past weeks, I'm sure, And the anger and the intense opposition of the Jews must have made him wonder anxiously about what his future was going to be. To Paul, the situation seems hopeless. If he's released, he'll be assassinated. He doesn't even know about the 40 assassins yet. All he knows is about what is happening. But if he remains in custody, he probably will never again do the work of an apostle. So it seems like there's little prospect of him leaving Jerusalem alive or ever getting to Rome, which is things that he's wanted to do and hoped for God's called him to do. But that night, our amazing God, Jesus, appears to him, reveals himself to him. It says he stood with him in that moment. And he says, be of good courage, or take courage, or take heart, or be encouraged. The same word is used in John Chapter 16, when Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, be of good cheer, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. That's the same word that is used here in this passage. Paul had been miraculously delivered from jail cells before. But this time God comes to him in a different way. He says, I'm going to meet you in the barracks, under guard. And let's be honest, most of us, when we pray for God's help in a situation, we want Jesus to deliver us out of our circumstances, to end it, to get us out. But one of the things we can perhaps learn today is that God wants to meet us first in our circumstances. Sometimes we think we're surrendering to Jesus when we only really are demanding an escape. But God wants us to meet us in whatever we face in the moment. It says in Isaiah 43, it says, Do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And it says, when you pass through the fire, you'll not be burned. Jesus personally and in a timely way assures Paul that he was faithful. What didn't go so right with the Sanhedrin, what hasn't been going right as he's been facing so much opposition, God says, it's not about you, Paul. You've been faithful. 
You're going to live to preach again. I'm going to get you to Rome. In this moment of discouragement, Jesus comforted him with a straightforward promise. It says, Paul, I'm, I'm promising this to you. I'm with you. And I have more for you to do in the future. I have a plan. I'm going to use even this for my purpose. And I'm going to give you protection. I'm protecting you and I'll provide a way for you. I will sustain you in ways you can't imagine. It didn't look like Paul would ever get out of Jerusalem alive. But the truth is, is that God says, no, I have protection for you. I have a plan for you. I have a promise for you. And the truth maybe that we need to hear, that we read in this word all the time, is that God not only knows what we need to hear, but he knows when we need to hear it. And for Paul, he needed this encouragement at this moment when he was tempted to think that it was over. And when Paul came out the next morning, he faced his enemies with a new conviction, with a new hope, with a new assurance that they were powerless against him. God had something more for him to do and God was going to provide a way. In my own life, I try to have that kind of posture. And maybe for all of us this morning, as we hear this, we can say, you know what, how can I have that same kind of posture that says, God, no matter what is going on, no matter what I'm in or what I'm facing, what difficulty, trial, or concern I'm sitting in, I need to have this kind of posture knowing that you can provide, knowing that your plans will come true, knowing that I can hold on to your promises. As we keep going in the story, we realize you never know how God will provide for you in the conflict. It gets worse, right? There's 40 assassins who've taken a vow. It says, we're willing to be cut off in order to kill Paul. And we see how God overcomes even evil intentions. They were dedicated, violent, and murderous zealots. They were resolute in wanting to kill Paul. Perhaps they were thinking that as Paul was transferred around the city, that they, with a group of 40 of them, would come around and overwhelm the guards and that Paul would be stabbed in these tight quarters, the tight streets that are in Jerusalem. If you've ever been there, you know how tight those streets are. But guess what? This intimidating, scary plan is undone by Paul's nephew. We never hear about Paul's family. This is the only reference. Paul's nephew shows up on the scene. We don't know how old he was. We don't know if he was a young boy. We don't know if he was a teenager. We don't know if he was in his 20s. But he was instrumental in saving Paul's life. It's one of those incredible examples of where God uses, God who can use anything, uses small things to accomplish his purposes. Do you remember David when he took on the giant Goliath? Do you remember the boy at the feeding of the 5,000 who brought five loaves and two fish? Do you remember a teenage girl named Mary who ended up being the host for the birth of Jesus? The Roman commander hears this plot from Paul's nephew and he decides to take action. Remember the promise that God said to Paul? He said, you must witness for me at Rome. So what does God use? God uses the Romans 
to undo this plot and to take care of Paul. You see, the commander orders this massive escort of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to guard and transfer Paul out of Jerusalem, which was the the Jewish center, and get him to Caesarea, Caesar, a Roman center. So they moved Paul, and he made sure that no one could get to Paul, a complete show of force. This terrible plot, it failed. We don't know what happened to the conspirators if they, the conspirators, if they died of thirst. But we know that later on, a few years later in Jerusalem, that because of their rejection of Jesus and their fanatical zealotry, in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. But all this is happening, all this incredible story, these incredible moments, this incredible opposition, it's almost as if God was saying, you know, Paul, I know what I'm doing. I'll ask you to court you down to Caesarea by the sea with full protection. You are in my hand, Paul. The plot is foiled and God miraculously provides a way out. A seemingly hopeless situation and God provides a way. And I don't know about you, but in my life, in every season, it seems like God needs to teach this lesson to me. When I was younger, I was dealing with my dad's Alzheimer's when I was 13, and it was a 13-year battle. I often wanted to get out of that situation, but God provided for me in that situation. At different points in my life, I've had to learn I can trust God even when I don't see him at work. Because you never know how God can use anything and anyone to accomplish his plans. Who would imagine that Paul's nameless nephew shows up and undoes this terrible plot to kill Paul? Who can imagine that the Romans protect Paul and get him away in this moment? There was more to come. There was more to happen. But in this moment, God used the Romans to protect Paul. So despite the terrible plans and the odds stacked against him, Paul was never removed from God's protective hand. And neither are you and neither am I. If you are feeling alone or mistreated or misunderstood or just you're in a moment where you don't know if you have the strength to make it through whatever you're in, remember this true account this morning. God is at work. He's there working behind the scenes. He'll work it out. He has a plan. Sometimes that's to stay in something. Sometimes God will provide a way out of something. But when you're convinced the bottom is about to drop out from under you, God, can, God steps in and can bring you to safety. For Paul, he used an unlikely ally, his unnamed nephew. But one thing we can claim this morning is God's timing is always perfectly synchronized with his will. I pray that you may remember that and be comforted by that this morning because you never know how God will prove faithful to his promises to accomplish his plans. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are all-powerful. You are faithful. 
and that you have given us the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. So, Lord, for each of us here, for those listening, for those who will listen later, we pray, Lord, that whatever we are facing, whether it be a difficult challenge, extreme opposition, and a a difficult trial or circumstances, we pray, Lord, that we may look to you as our rock, as our redeemer, as our victor, and as our friend. We pray that what the hope we speak about this morning may be true in our lives, whether it be young or old. We pray that may, we may live in that confidence. And we pray it in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to finish letting Paul, who we've been learning from this morning, speak to us. One of my favorite passages, maybe it's one of yours, you've probably heard it several times, so why don't you hear it in a different way this morning. From Romans chapter 8, that's what it says. Paul speaking to us, and you can hear his own experience in these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray that you may go in that promise, in that power, and in the peace of Christ. Have a great week. Amen.